welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 269. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope that you have recovered from the ill effects of the end of Daylight Savings Time, and that it has not uh, disrupted your humors, to use the old phrase from the uh, 19th century literature, where uh, characters were constantly having their humors disrupted. And it would mess up their, uh, you know, their health, and they would have to go to the countryside to relax, which is an okay thing to do now because you know, wide open spaces, easy to uh, easy to six foot distance, good opportunity to catch up on some podcasts, like this one. So, yay, disrupted humors. Not really. I hope you're all doing well and uh, listening to podcasts. All right. Uh, speaking of hearing things, although we weren't really, but we are now. I have heard back from some of you listeners, and that's really cool. Carl Mead on Twitter sent me a message recently. Hi, Carl. He wrote, Hey, William, a fan from New Zealand. That's very cool. I'd like to visit New Zealand. It's supposed to be awesome. Uh, and not just because they, from the start, had an adult response to COVID-19. He says, Love your podcast. I wanted to say, I once posted Henry used to wreck your podcast. I would like to apologize. I now love all of your podcasts. And Henry makes them perfect. Please carry on the good work. All the best. Henry and William. Go Atari Bites. That's very cool. I appreciate the uh, the comments. And I wrote back to him as much. I do kind of remember. I didn't remember that it was Carl. But I do remember getting a post or seeing a post at one point critical of the fact that Henry is on the show occasionally. I don't remember if it was a social media post or if it was in a review. Uh, somebody um, disappointed uh, and, and not willing to listen to the show. Because there's a kid on the show. There's several issues with that. The first one being, I like having Henry on the show. Uh, and it's my show. So I, I like having him around. Uh, I think he's funny. I think he's clever. He's my kid. I like doing stuff with my kid. If he wants to come on the show, I'm going to let him come on the show. The other thing with it is, I've been doing this show for, God, five years now. And Henry, at he's 11 now, at six years old being on the show, he was probably closer to seven or maybe even eight before he did it the first time. Him doing it when he was that age versus him being on the show now at 11 is a different deal. He's older because that's how math works. I think he's better able to uh, to be an active host on the show now and will continue to grow into that. Who knows? Maybe someday when I'm a very old podcaster, I'll hand the keys to the studio off to Henry and he'll continue on the tradition. I, I don't know. I think he adds a lot to the show. I've heard more comments positive to Henry being here than negative and I take that as a good sign. I, I'm glad, Carl, that you stuck with the show. I hope other people have. For one thing, for those who are not thrilled about the idea of a kid being on a podcast, he's not on all the time. He's not on today. I think you hear his voice once on the field report. He's my cameraman. But he's not on the show today, so you know, breathe a sigh of relief, all you non-Henry fans. Also, uh, keep in mind a couple, couple more things. This is not a hardcore gaming podcast. If anyone's new to the show expecting a really intense gaming experience, you're probably on the wrong podcast. I'm a guy who had an Atari, uh, was was the age when Atari was new when I was a kid, probably about Henry's age, yeah, a little bit younger. Uh, so I was right in that perfect demographic to experience the Atari, had it, loved it, kept my system all these years. I still play in the, not the original Atari I had. The original Atari died when I was a kid, so it's actually the second system that I had. But still, the one from when I was a kid. A lot of the cartridges I have are from when I was a kid that I never got rid of. I just, I'm nostalgic for that era. 
but I'm not really a gamer. Um, I've had other gaming systems in between over the years, but never really anything intense. I don't have a computer background. I don't know how to program these. I don't know how the programming works. I don't know how the cartridges get made, except in the very vaguest sense. I'm, uh, I've said it many times, I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I approach these games every week as uh, writing prompts. I take the advantage of the opportunity to play some of these games that I like to play, because I have fun playing them. But really, I'm here to tell you a story. Part of that is the story of the game, a little bit. Part of it is a story that I've made up completely out of my own strange head. I consider the show to be very loose, very uh, light. Have my kid come goof around with me a little bit on the show just kind of fits into that. So, Carl, I appreciate the email. I'm really, really glad you stuck with the show. I'm thrilled to know I have at least one listener in New Zealand. That's very cool. Um, Hopefully you'll tell your friends to listen to the show, uh, regardless of Henry or because of Henry. Yeah, so I hope, obviously, if you're hearing this, you've stuck with the show, everybody else, regardless of Henry being here or maybe because of Henry being here, and I hope you continue to do so. I'm always looking for suggestions on how to make the show better. Please keep sending them, but probably not having Henry on the show is not going to be one of those suggestions that I take. So, for what it's worth, Carl, when you did comment on that in the past, critical of Henry, I didn't take it personally. I get it. Uh, everyone has a different idea of the gaming, uh, the podcasting experience that they want, and that's cool. And again, I've said it several times already, but thanks for sticking with the show. I hope everyone else does too. <laughs> <laughs> Our buddy Sean Courtney, hi Sean, had thoughts about the Pepsi Invaders episode. He uh, posted over on the Patreon, I'm a Coca-Cola guy myself. There was always Pepsi in the house when I was growing up. My dad for decades would drink Pepsi for supper. He'd never drink milk. Even as a diabetic now, he drinks Diet Pepsi with meals. Let's see. As a kid in my house, I was pretty faithful to drinking milk. Actually, I was up until probably five years ago, ten years ago, and suddenly I lost my taste for milk. Still put on cereal, you know, milk and cookies occasionally, but just to drink a glass of milk, I've lost my uh, my taste for that. The parents were never really cola drinkers that much, especially dad. Mom occasionally, a Diet Coke. But at dinner, uh, this was the 70s and 80s, usually they'd be drinking uh, vodka gimlets, honestly. So, not a lot of Pepsi at the dinner table when I was growing up. Sean continues, my uncle always had Cokes, and when we'd be at his house for family events, Coke was the cola of the day. And man, I liked it so much better. Uh, I think I commented last week that uh, I was a Pepsi kid as a kid, in its various forms. Pepsi, Pepsi Free, I was never, never was and still aren't. Uh, I'm still not a diet cola fan of any kind, really. But Pepsi, Pepsi Free, when that was a thing, there was a place we would go. Uh, I grew up in northern Iowa. We would go to uh, Minnesota to see my brother occasionally. Uh, they didn't live all that. Him and his wife didn't live all that far away, so we'd zip up there on a Saturday morning, have lunch at this really cool burger place, and I would get a vanilla Pepsi. I think it was vanilla Pepsi, not vanilla Coke. Might have been vanilla Coke. Uh, occasionally I get a cherry Coke or Pepsi, but usually the vanilla because that seemed like such an exotic thing to me. So I would do that. I still kind of like a vanilla Pepsi every now and then. But yeah, so I was a, I was a Pepsi kid, but I am to the extent that I drink cola these days. I'm a Coke guy now. Sean says uh, basically he was a Coke kid because it had a much smoother taste. Uh, then he says a couple of Coke Pepsi tidbits for your entertainment on Wii, as the case may be. A few years ago, when I was out with my friend, Pie Factory podcast co-host Jim, hi Jim, and his wife for his birthday, we spent significant time at one of the several arcades we're lucky to have in the area. If you guys want to hear more about that, here's a free plug, Sean. 
If you guys want to hear more about the arcades that Sean and Jim visit in the Chicago area, check out the Pie Factory podcast. Uh, it's entertaining. The guys are fun. They know a lot about games, particularly arcade games. Uh, it's just a good time. Go check that out. So, Sean is saying Jim and his wife went out for the Jim's birthday. We spent significant time at one of the several arcades we're lucky to have in the area. We went across the street with a bunch of other friends at a bar. Jim ordered a Coke for his wife, and the bartender said, Is RC okay? We were both blindsided by that. Everybody knows the correct question is, Is Pepsi okay? For the record, I do prefer RC over Pepsi, but Coke overall. I'm sure I commented last week that I have some RC in my beer fridge right now that I'm trying to get rid of. Uh, slowly, because, you know, as I noted, I don't drink a lot of cola. So it's taken me a while to get through it. I had fond memories of RC, but when I start this 12-pack, I'm a little disappointed. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of flavor to it, compared to like Pepsi or Coke, particularly Coke. You know, if I put it in a glass with some crushed ice, it's it's uh, refreshing, I guess. But otherwise, it's just kind of sugary nothing. But I get it, because I, I was an RC fan as well, uh, back in the day. Sean says, everybody knows the common lore of cocaine being in Coca-Cola. It's not that Coke actually put cocaine in the formula. It's just a byproduct product, uh, byproduct of the coca leaves used in production. But as a result, the drink used to have some extra zing to it. And as you said in the episode, the drink was actually marketed as a cure for what ails you. That's true. Sometime in their history, coke actually started to extract the cocaine from the coca leaves. They apparently sell the extracted controlled substances to pharmaceutical companies. Hmm, interesting. I don't know if I came across that in my research or not. But because you can only extract so much cocaine from the leaves, you just can't get every last molecule... Why not, Sean? This is America. We can do anything we want. Sorry. Coca-Cola still has trace amounts of cocaine in it, but not enough to have any real physiological effect. And as you know, that Coca-Cola is made from cola nuts, K-O-L-A, and coca leaves. In in those parts of the United States where people call everything Coke, reminds me, when I was traveling uh, with my wife, where were we? we? I think we went to, it was when we went to Denver, and my wife still... You trots out the phrase every now and then because uh, we went to some restaurant and the waitress asked uh, Jill if she wanted a Coke. You want a Coke, honey? So, yeah, I get what you mean. Sean says, in those parts of the United States where people call everything Coke, they're wrong unless the drink is made with coca leaves. I'm probably in a very, 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 very tiny minority, but I much prefer the high fructose corn syrup version of Coke over the cane sugar version. I don't know. I could go either way. It just tastes so much smoother, he says. The cane sugar version tastes way too much like Pepsi for my taste. Maybe that's why Sophie and Henry think the two taste the same. That's true. They said that last week. Did they maybe just have the cane sugar version? Hey, if you don't know where to find, where to get the cane sugar version and are curious, it's not too uncommon in convenience stores. Look for the glass bottles from Mexico. Uh, I've never really done that. That's a good idea. You might also find it in grocery stores by the Mexican food along with cane sugar versions of other American sodas. That info I got about the cocaine, by the way, is from one of my favorite references to go to, Cecil Adams' semi-underground syndicated newspaper column, The Straight Dope. I've checked that out. Cecil released several books from that column, and I highly recommend anybody reading this or listening if you decide to read this aloud in your podcast, which I am. Go to your favorite book source and get those books. If you're familiar with David, I'm I'm assuming Sean's not getting paid for this free ad. If you're familiar with David Feldman's Imponderables series, when do fish sleep, etc. I think I might have read some of those. The straight dope is pretty similar. But going back to the subject of colas, if you really want to make your eyes spin, and I do, look for Cecil's column about the differences between Tab and Diet Coke. Is Tab still a thing? I feel like there was some big, uh, semi-big announcement not that long ago that Tab was going out of production. 
Anyway, Sean says, Anywho, Bill, thank you for doing the show as always. One thing I really, really need you to be aware of, apparently, apparently Stranger Things is back in production. Yay. Um, I was lamenting last week that uh, it was just sort of a random thought that I missed the show Stranger Things. I should probably do a rewatch. We've had long enough now. I should probably do a rewatch rewatch of the first three seasons because I think Sean's right. I think I did read that, uh, like every other show, they struggled to get back into production, but they are back putting the show together. I'm guessing the uh, characters are like 30 now. At least it feels that way. More seriously, I just thought the idea was that for season four, the uh, the main cast would be in high school. But honestly, it has been at least a couple years. I wonder if they will push that out even further and make them... It might, be t- it might not have been long enough to make them college students. Probably still, they'll be in high school. I don't know. Looking forward to it at any rate. Sean, thanks as always for sending your comments. You're always very supportive of the show, and you're just a good dude. So keep being a good dude. And the rest of you, I already told you to listen to Pie Factory. When you're done listening to Pie Factory, go listen to Autobiography of a Schnook, which pretty soon in this episode you're going to hear an ad for, I have a feeling. That's Sean's other show. He also has done a show called uh, the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, although I think that's on a bit of a hiatus now. I don't know if it's, when it's coming back, but if you reach out to him, uh, at his other shows, maybe he'll tell you. I also heard from Michael Tyler on the Patreon. Hi, Michael. He said, I used to live several blocks from an RC distributing center next to Philip Morris on I-95. I assume that means Philip Morris as in cigarettes, Philip Morris? He says, but being the hood, children enjoyed smashing out lights and windows. They moved out about 20 years ago. Well, that's too bad. Philip Morris, I guess, decided to stick it out. Thanks for the comment, Michael. For some reason, this stirred a memory of my buddy Todd and I as kids going to wander around an old abandoned factory. I don't know what this factory did for the most part. All I know is that behind the factory, out where they, you know, the stacks of the old wooden pallets were left, they had stacks of old, like, I don't know, four-inch diameter plastic Frisbees. I'm sure this factory made other things too, but for some reason they had a whole bunch of these. It seems like we snagged a few as a kid. We didn't break any windows or anything, but we did kind of walk around. Clearly people had broken windows and other things at this factory. We didn't do any of that, but we did. I think we did snag a few of those Frisbees. Why they were left there, I don't know. But like I said, I don't even remember what the factory was or what they did when they were still a factory. But this comment made me think of that. Lots of love for RC today. That's nice. Maybe I'll go have one. All right. In news this week, there is no news. Oh, wait, there is news. Although it's not new news by now. Audacity is a thing. Not the recording software that I'm using to record this show right now. The new uh, Daniel Kitchen, Gary Kitchen project where they are creating brand new Atari game. And the gaming world, understandably, the classic gaming world is understandably beside itself over this news uh, circus convoy i believe is the first game that's out by the time you're hearing this i think the recording the re, uh, the ordering link is up there was a little bit of a delay there was there were some very unhappy people last weekend when uh the uh the system shut down basically the day that you were supposed to be able to start ordering games and they had to wait till the next day i'm guessing by the time you're hearing this i have given in and ordered a copy for myself. Even the standard version of the new game is a little pricey, although I get why, you know, production costs and all of that. 
And I'm sure it's very nice. And I'm sure I have given in. Probably only ordered the standard version. I don't really care about the uh, the number of the game. I, I'm vacillating a little bit about wanting the cartridge and the ROM. But 100 bucks for to get the ROM seems a little steep. My understanding is it doesn't work on the Harmony card anyway, which is where I would want to use it, most likely. So I'm probably, by the time you're hearing this, I have probably ordered just the standard version. And uh, I'll be happy with that. I'm sure once I get that game and probably the next game too, at some point it will show up on the podcast to be storified. So that's pretty exciting. I have my notes here, the uh, Circus Convoy trailer. I'm sure you guys have all watched it by now. It's a very cool trailer. Very well done, although I don't know what else you would expect, but quality from these guys. So I'm, like everyone else, I'm a happy classic gamer right now. All right, you know what else makes me happy? This week's game. This week's game is... Solar Fox, the new video game where speed and strategy are all you have to fly through 26 changing solar fields. And if you're really fast, you'll skip ahead to even tougher fields. Solar Fox from CBS Electronics. Can I drive now? Where the excitement (laughs) never ends. Solar Fox from CBS Electronics, 1983, based on the 1981 Bally Arcade game. We're using the left joystick for this one. It's a one-player game, although two players can play, taking turns. Game one is a one-player, two is a two-player. Game three is a one-player parent play. And game four is a two-player parent play. We'll get to that in a minute. Mission Survival. Earth has just about had its solar fox. Centuries of waste have brought us to the brink of global war for control of what precious energy resources we have left. There's only one chance for peace. You. In a far corner of the galaxy hover vast, intricate formations of solar energy cells guarded by ominous, fireball-shooting sentinels. Your mission is to navigate through those matrices. It says matrices. I wonder if it should be matrices. Anyway. And capture those cells. The faster your speed, the greater your reward. Your starships utilize advanced gyro-directional technology, but the only weapon you have is your skill as a pilot. And the supreme test of that skill will take place in the infamous challenge racks, where you'll attempt to unravel the ultimate mystery of your mission. Good luck, Solar Fox. So the object of the game is to successfully maneuver your starship through a series of colorful, pulsating solar cell matrices, or matrices. Points are scored for each solar cell you capture and for how fast you clear each matrix. Players may also earn the right to complete challenge racks for bonus points and clues to the mystery of Solar Fox. You begin each game with a squadron of three starships. Only one starship at a time may move about a matrix. The solid squares in the top right-hand corner of your screen indicate how many of your starships are left. Use your joystick to maneuver your starship through each matrix. Hold the joystick, wait for it, with the red button to your upper left toward the screen. Best instruction ever. The red button acts as your starship's speed control. Starships have no firepower. You must capture the solar cells, not shoot at them. A window, though, is a, a mission leader. Wouldn't it make sense to arm your ships so that they could shoot these sentinels? Anyway, I'm not in charge here. I just do what I'm told. Starships have no firepower. You must capture the solar cells, not shoot at them. You will be rewarded one extra starship for every 10 matrices cleared. Your starships travel at a preset cruise speed throughout the game. Set the difficulty switches to A for a fast cruise speed, which I believe is what I did in the field report. Set the switches to B for a slow cruise speed. At fast cruise speed, cruise speed, Hold down the red button of your joystick controller to slow your starship down. At slow cruise speed, hold the 
red button to speed your starship up. To restore your starship to its cruise speed, lift up on the button. There are 20 different solar cell matrices, not counting challenge racks. Each matrix varies in its shape, composition, complexity, and in some cases, color. The more you play, the more familiar you'll become with the unique challenges each matrix presents to you. Racks 1 to 6 are composed of single solar cells. Racks 7 to 20 are made up of double solar cells. Each cell must be passed over twice to be cleared from the screen. Points are scored for both passes. When the last matrix is cleared, the cycle of matrix patterns is repeated. Each of the 20 matrices is guarded by two sentinels. Each sentinel continuously oscillates along the perimeter, shooting a pattern of deadly fireballs across the playfield. Fireball patterns are based, in part, on your own starship flight path. Fireballs will not destroy sentinels, just your starship. As you advance into more complex matrices, the frequency of fireballs increases and their patterns become more erratic. Each of the 20 matrices is equipped with a skipper rack timer. If you begin a matrix and manage to clear it before the letters of skip a rack disappear, you'll automatically skip the next matrix and earn all the points available from it. The length of time allotted for the skip a rack timer varies with the complexity of each matrix. If your starship is destroyed by a fireball before the skip a rack timer has elapsed, the timer is forfeited for that matrix. There is no penalty for failing to beat the skip a rack timer. After every fifth matrix of Solar Fox, a challenge rack appears. There are six different challenge racks throughout the game, making the total number of matrixes 26. These special matrixes require expert maneuvers and precise timing. You must clear the challenge rack of all the solar cells before all the letters of challenge, exclamation point, disappear. Points are scored for each solar cell captured, but only if the entire matrix has been cleared. When you complete the challenge rack, code letter will briefly appear on the screen. This letter is part of a mystery word that has been programmed into your cartridge. To get all six letters, you must successfully complete all six challenge racks, which I did not do today. There is no small. This is no small feat, as it requires a perfect mastery of the intricacies of Solar Fox. That mystery word is your key to exciting new surprises from CBS Electronics. If anyone has done this, let me know. When you complete one challenge rack, you'll be able to take on the next one if you make it through the next five regular matrices. If, however, you fail to complete a challenge rack, you'll have another shot at the same one if you make it through the next five regular matrices. Sentinels go into limbo and do not spit out fireballs for the duration of a challenge rack. The game ends when all of your starships have been destroyed by the deadly fireballs. Two players may compete in Solar Fox alternating turns. Both joystick controllers are used. Player 1 uses the left, has yellow ships. Player 2 uses the right and has blue ships. At the end of the game, the winning score is left displayed on the screen. Select Game 2 for this version. Games 3 and 4 are respectively easier 1 and 2 player versions of Solar Fox that let parents have almost as much fun as their kids. I have never known a parent, myself included, who has had as much fun at anything as my kid. Just saying. The differences from the regular versions are as follows. Only the first six cell matrices must may be played. After the last cell of the sixth matrix is secured, the first matrix will appear and the cycle will start over again. Decreased speed and frequency of fireballs, no skip a rack timer, no challenge racks. I have never heard of this parent play mode for any Atari game that I've done in 269 episodes. If anyone else is familiar with this, let me know. If anyone else has a parent who played the parent play version of Solar Fox and liked it, or even better, hated it, let me know. Your score is displayed at the top of the screen throughout the game. In two-player versions, the second player's score appears at the bottom of the screen. Point values range from 100 points for racks 1 through 5 up to 400 points in racks 16 to 20. And a successfully completed challenge rack gets you the number of cells in the rack times the cell point value of preceding matrix. Strategy hints. Learn to use and rely upon your speed control button. It may be the only thing that stands between you and many a deadly collision. 
Avoid hovering around the matrix perimeters for too long. The sentinels will quickly sense your presence. To save time, try to pick up as many cells possible in a singular direction before turning a corner to avoid a fireball. And that is how you play Solar Fox from CBS Electronics. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. As noted, Solar Fox started its life as an arcade game in 81 by Bally Midway, ported to the Atari 2600, ColecoVision, and Intellivision. It was also released as a Commodore-published cartridge for the Commodore 64 in 1983. A comic book was released in 1983 also to support the story of the game. Comicvine.gamespot.com has an article about this comic. Really, it's just a comic ad for Solar Fox, at least in this article. Speed and strategy are all you have, and they just might be enough. Earth is desperate for energy, Solar Fox. You're mankind's only hope. Get the solar cells Earth needs to survive. Just watch out for those deadly fireballs. The ad has a valley girl saying, There are like millions of them, Solar Fox. What are we going to do? Do with three O's. Do. The solar fox takes elusive action, blah, blah, blah. Tries to get the solar cells. The valley girl says, Awesome. Gnarly. What a space cadet. At one point in the ad. Uh, this kind of thing. It was very early 80s eBay has 1983 vintage 6.5 by 10-inch comic print game ad for Atari 2600 Solar Fox CBS video game for $9.95 plus $4.46 shipping. So I'm gathering it's not really a whole comic book. It's this uh, one-page ad. Woodgrain Wonderland called Solar Fox the game a Dark Horse favorite when uh, the reviewer rediscovered the 2600 several years ago. Fast, furious, and seriously addictive. A little different from the 81 arcade game but a pretty stand-up game on its own. The game is an example of one that wasn't fully appreciated in its day, either in the arcade or at home, but later found life as a fan favorite. Play it and you'll soon see why. Grade A. Atari Proto says if you were unaware that Solar Fox was actually an arcade game, you're not alone. Most people play this amazingly addictive little action game without even knowing, without ever knowing of its arcade roots. It was planned for a wide variety of platforms, but ultimately only came out on the 2600 and C64. Protoss seems to agree with me that speed control is nice, but fast, but lasers would have been better. Solar Fox is one of those simple but amazingly addictive games. Although the arcade game wasn't particularly popular, Solar Fox found a new audience on the 2600 and is consistently rated as one of its best games. Perhaps if more little-known arcade games of this quality were ported to the 2600, the crash could have been staved off for a little while longer. I guess sometimes being obscure isn't such a bad thing after all. All right. Well, after the break, we outfox the rest of the show, or something.
on the podcast, we're crazy. Crazy like a solar fox. Yeah, I know that's terrible, but I don't want to redo this video, so you're just going to live with that intro. Alright, we're playing Solar Fox from Valley Midway, the arcade version. Uh, and then the uh, Atari uh, port from uh, 81, 83, as you can see on the screen there, if you're watching the video. Uh, so let's do that thing now. Alright, here we go. I know you're supposed to have strategy about how you move your ship around and stuff, but I mostly just kind of scramble around. Hey! I find the controls a little unresponsive. That may be because I don't ever remember to push the button to slow down. Or it could just be that they're unresponsive. I don't know. down there. Good for me, Bill. I believe I'm playing uh, difficulty level A. Uh, yes, it is really bright, aren't it? Shoot. I have done better than this, I promise, guys. Solar cells look like the hamburgers in Mega Mania to me. Not that that's a bad thing. Man, I like Mega Mania. I wish I was playing Mega Mania. Yep, I got got. Is that my last guy? Nope. Yep, it was. Uh, I've done better. I've done worse. It's kind of like life, really. Back in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in love, twisted car races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a decoder ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, in words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. So here's the thing about Solar Fox. I agree. The game's really addictive. Uh, it's really, really simple. Uh, I don't know what I expected when I put the game in, but I immediately was uh, kind of sucked in. 
it's one that you want to keep picking up and playing uh, because it is simple and you just uh, you get sucked in so that's the best kind of Atari game of course the one that you want to keep replaying that's about all I got to say about that if you guys have thoughts about Solar Fox reach out to me in one of the various ways that you can do that and if you don't know how to do that keep listening and I'll tell you at the end of the show It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, The Solar Fox's Reboot. Kate Kildare tossed her phone aside. It clattered to a stop face down on the desk between the framed photo of herself with Martin Scorsese and the other photo of herself with Kermit the Frog. The morning after well, afternoon after, finishing her Tony Award-winning run in her latest Broadway play, Kate opened her email to find an echo of the past. No, wait, that was a YouTube video of a Nirvana nose flute cover band. But the next email she saw was from her agent, Gilman. Bloody ridiculous, she muttered to herself after reading it, her disbelief not at all blunted no matter how many times she read the email. A Solar Fox's reboot, Jesus. In the 1990s, then-20-something actress Kate Gildare stumbled into the lead in a syndicated adventure series called Solar Foxes. The show, a sci-fi tale set in the distant future about a team of female fighter pilots in tight flight suits protecting the sun from alien invaders bent on destroying our solar system, started off slow, but then enjoyed a five-season cult following. Suddenly, the young actress, who hadn't done anything of note up until then except that one commercial where she did a really good job of conveying the distress of poor bladder control, was on t-shirts and posters. She was being invited to conventions, and people actually wanted her autograph on stuff. The people were mostly guys, sure, but not all guys. Girls, too, sometimes. And Kate was proud of the show, basically. Her character, Major Mallory Chambers, was a no-nonsense, quick-witted loner, leading a ragtag team of sun defenders. The special effects were okay for syndication back then. The group of men who wrote the show, yes, all men, but this was the 90s, even had a science and military advisor on staff in season three. And there were still two cast members she was lifelong friends with, even though one of them went back to prison. The show had lots of aerial dogfights and kickboxing, but also had teachable moments, like the estranged father storyline, or that time her best friend from the Academy showed up and was all evil-like. The show wasn't just an excuse to have hot women do stuff in low-cut uniforms. Kate was sure of that. The show wasn't about her boobs, but it was also kind of about her boobs. Still, all the attention was great. Until it wasn't. You told me the part was mine to lose. How the hell did she get it out from under me? Was a question Kate asked her agent Gilman a lot in the late 90s after Solar Foxes were canceled. They don't want a Solar Foxes type. Gilman would say. I'm not a Solar Fox's type, Kate would say. I'm a Kate Kildare type. In the 2000s, Kate got large parts in small films that no one saw, and smaller parts in bigger films that people saw, but didn't notice her in. Solar Fox's memorabilia moved from fans' bedrooms to eBay. She still got invited to conventions, only attending if there was a decent payment in it, but the autograph lines weren't quite as long. Solar Fox's bubbled to the surface a bit when on-demand and streaming services arrived, and people rediscovered the show. Kate occasionally got letters from people saying they went into the military or learned to fly or whatever because of Mallory Chambers. That was nice. With the movie thing not really happening, 
Kate also discovered a love of live theater, and she was good at it. Her success on Broadway brought her a new type of fame and culminated in a Tony Award for playing a 1920s flapper turned evangelist turned investor wiped out in the crash of 29, only to be abducted by aliens and sent back to Earth to sing the praises of a simple life on a beet farm. So when Gilman emailed about rebooting Solar Foxes, it was almost like he was talking about some other person. The meeting with the producers felt surreal. It was like chatting about some other actor's project. Something for a Kate Kildare she didn't remember. We imagine Mallory Chambers as a more seasoned veteran of the Defense Corps, they would say. Seasoned, Kate repeated wryly. Like old. Hasn't been that long since the show ran. But of course it had. 30 years is a long time in TV. The premise of the rebooted series was kind of interesting. Chambers had left the Defense Corps at some point before the series began due to a falling out with the higher-ups over the treatment of prisoners from the Sun Wars. The wars also took place sometime between the old series and the new. Not a bad jumping-off point for a new show. But Kate just had a hard time imagining herself as Mallory Chambers anymore. Kate was a different actress now. Older, with a different worldview than she had back then. Could she even relate to that person anymore? She was in her 20s back then. A lot of time had passed. And there was this other thing, though she hated herself for thinking about it. Mentally and physically, Kate Childer was healthy and in good shape, but she did worry a little bit about being able to um, fill out the old flight suit like she had when she was younger. It was stupid, but that's television. And really, would anyone watch? That's what it was all about, after all. Viewers. The producers assured her people would watch. Reboots were fashionable now, supposedly, and it was only a 10-episode order on a streaming service almost no one uses anymore. Maybe just for the paycheck, Kate thought, but that seemed unfair to the fans. The same fans she wasn't even entirely convinced existed anymore. Kate didn't know what to do. Solar Foxes was a lovely time in her life, but it was dead now. Maybe it should just stay dead. Six months later, sitting backstage now on her latest production, she reread Gilman's email. The one pleading with her to reconsider. The one outlining all the reasons why the fans loved her, and why she owed it to not just them, but to herself as an artist, to show that beloved, beloved, really, Mallory Chambers still lived within her, and that this show wouldn't have been the success it was without her. Then Gilman goes on to sing the praises of Kate's award-winning acting prowess. The same kind of stuff Gilman probably shoved down the throats of producers he sweet-talked into giving Kate jobs long after people, people forgot who she was. Hollywood BS, in other words. And it worked. They need you on set, a production assistant said politely. Kate Kildare sighed and stood. She zipped up her flight suit, but only so far, and stepped out of her dressing room to begin filming Solar Foxes, Mallory Chambers Resurrected. A serious scene was coming up, but Kate found herself smiling a bit. It's nice to come home. Always give the fans what they want, right? Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Compotech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Don't forget to leave a solar-powered five-star review of the show on Apple Podcasts, you sly fox, you. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter, at Atari Bytes. 
or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. Don't forget you can call us. You can leave a voicemail because I'm not going to answer the phone. Nothing personal. But if you have something to share, do that with your very own voice by calling 563-265-1978. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. It's your one stop for all things related to this podcast and my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. Episodes, info, social media, it's all there. You can also find out about books that I've written, like Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories, Fortified with Essential Syllables, and get links to just a few of the places that you can order those books. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Please also consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to the Patreon feed. Patreon supporters get stuff like access to episodes early and bonus content from time to time, including video of the fuel report that I talked about every that I do every episode, uh, and other stuff as things come up that I throw up on the Patreon that you can only see if you're a Patreon supporter. You also get to hang out with these cool people. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jim Doble, Patrick McCarthy, and Jeremy L. Thank you all very much for supporting the show. All right, we're just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. Quad Run is a game we're going to play. Yeah, I have no idea what this game is, but we're going to do it next week, and we'll find out together. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.